I'm William Shatner, and uh, I'm sitting beside... Your daughter, Elizabeth Shatner. I knew you looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and... We want to talk about our movie. Our little film for Paramount. And I wrote a book on it. What's the book's name? Journaled Your Experiences, Captain's Log, William Shatner's personal account of the making of Star Trek V. Well, here it so, is. We're both here to tell the tale. I love this shot. I love conceiving and setting up this shot. This whole thing on the desert was quite vivid. We had so little time. I remember your efforts to get this all in, and you had to rush, and there were several things that got, went wrong and made it hard to set the shot up. One of the trucks with the wardrobe had broken down, and it ended up having to be packed into a very short period of time. Yeah. And, uh, uh, we'd come from another location across those mountains, arrived here, and I only had a certain amount of daylight. I think you ended up with about 15 minutes, actually. And I had to get these shots conceived. Yeah. We couldn't... Yeah, the, great. Uh, the the uh, computer magic stuff wasn't really available at this point, so we were really using real dust, and I wanted this silhouette slow motion slowly coming, death slowly coming, in his attempts to reload his rifle. You wouldn't be able to tell by this shot, but there are two huge airplane jet fans right outside camera blowing that dust across. It's pretty amazing it worked out so yeah. well. I love shots like this. The old western yeah. thing, but look at the clouds and the uh, the oh. way the desert floor is so broken up. That's Owen's dry lake bed. Desiccated is the word I was looking for. Yeah, the Owen's lake desert bed. <laughs> Something like that. And all that dust <laughs> in everything. And there's Lawrence Luckenville. I don't remember the name of this wonderful character actor who's dying or kneeling. But there's Larry in full makeup. And he got a hold of this part and he grasped it and made it his own. I thought he was wonderful in it. It must be dragged from the darkness and forced into the light. Share your pain. Share your pain with me. And gain strength. Rex Holman, that was his name. Rex Holman? I think so. Yeah. That's it. And uh, here is. Um, a story that was several years in advance of its time. A religious zealot taking converts and making his way across the universe. It was weirdly prophetic, wasn't it? Weirdly prophetic. Imagine if this were available now. Hmm. Oh, it might be a different story as to Reaction. people coming to see it. Join my quest. What is it you seek? What do you seek? <laughs> More dust. What all men have sought since time began. And then I put horses in the script all the way through as much as I could so I could get to ride one. <laughs> I remember your first incarnations of the horses were actually unicorns. That's and, right. And um, Jean 
fought that one, I think, because to him that meant it was more a, a science fantasy rather than science fiction. So the horse, the unicorn became a horse. Yeah. The first test, I, they were gold, and then in the final end, they were blue. Yeah. The, the gold color didn't work. So. But that unicorn would have been good. It would have, imagine that in silhouette, how exotic that would have been. Mm. Well, th this is a modified version right. <laughs> of a unicorn. I love Rex's moment there. And this laugh. And then, mm. bleeding the sun in. It's a great opening. There's DeForest Kelly's name. Yeah. Now, long since gone. Yeah. But he lives on in this film. In a lot of the films and yeah. in the series. It's amazing that there are so many of these movies. David Warner, another great actor. We shot a lot of film on people climbing. And you, you went out to the desert and did a practice climb of and did a over 100 climb, feet. And did a practice <laughs> climb. And looked down and went, oh. And so we had a lot of this film, and we didn't know how to use it. And I suggested doing it as for the opening credits. And so we, we use it all the way through. It becomes a climb upwards and symbolic. My thought was the climb is the symbol of Star Trek trying to achieve a higher end, climbing higher and higher, trying to find that spirituality that was uh, the key to the, what I thought the film was. Andrew Laszlo, a wonderful cinematographer, worked very closely. Um, I was worried in my naivety that the cinematographer might have his own view on what to do and not listen to what I had to say. I didn't know how to conduct myself with a well-known cinematographer, but that never happened. It was a marvelous uh, combination. And here we are on the face of this, on the face of Yosemite. We had, um, as the guy on camera, a man who was uh, well known for getting these kinds of shots. And the stuntman 
had one of the first um, of these kinds of um, stunt uh, mechanisms. Uh, I've forgotten the exact term they use, but it, they leap out and then this cable slows them down slowly. Then we had to figure out where to place the false rock in relationship to the real rock so that when you saw me on the face of the false rock, it was obviously in Yosemite Park. You'll have a great time, Bones. You'll enjoy your shore leave. You'll be able to relax. You call this relaxing? I'm a nervous wreck. I'm not careful, I'll end up talking to myself. And that's a fake wall. That's a fake a wall. Fake rock wall. In the parking lot. <laughs> at uh, Yosemite, National, Yosemite Park. National Park. And Leonard's actually on a teeter-totter, kind of glued in by the feet on right. that shot. <laughs> Beautiful day. The threat of weather was always, was omnipresent, of course. Yes, yeah, as a matter of fact, I think when we were driving in, it looked like it was going to rain, and as we came in, the clouds sort of parted, and you had we, your... We were magically... Your blessed weather. Yeah, the blessed weather that uh, has been so good for me over the years. The contrary. Gravity is foremost on my mind. Look, I'm trying to make an ascent here. Why don't you go pester Dr. McCoy for a while? I believe that Dr. McCoy is not in the best of I took some rock climbing lessons before the film where they, the guys were free climbers like this, but they had me roped. And this is a guy actually That guy falling. actually falling <laughs> with that's a de-accelerator. And that's actually me on a set and every time we did it I let out this yell that we kept in and everyone thought what wonderful acting it wasn't <laughs> it was total fear that I was gonna land on my head every time and called those wires that are holding up the wires of torture right because they were very uncomfortable And then for you Milton fans, Paradise City, there's a, a little graffiti, a graffiti <laughs> written on one side there, Lost, so it's Paradise Lost. And we had fun with this with the cat costume lady. on that girl with the cat lady. Cat lady, they did a bunch of different experiments on the stripes and settled on tiger stripes, finally. Costuming was wonderful. Yeah. Cynthia Gow was this the girl playing Caitlin. Is that right? You had a lot of, I sat in on a, a lot of those casting sessions where you, you went through a number of 
auditions to settle on her. I'm St. John Talbot, the Federation representative here on Nimbus 3. My charming companion here is the Klingon Consul, Cord. I expect that's Klingon for hello. Won't you come in, my dear? This is where we had like 15 minutes to shoot this sequence. <laughs> I know, on those rush days at yeah. Ridgecrest. Where it was so difficult to go from one place to the other that we were always arriving late because vehicles were breaking down and couldn't find people. And those poor extras were out in the sun for hours, hours waiting for you. Waiting but they, they rallied. They did rally. David Warner. Who? Those people were local people. Wonderful. And we wrapped them in rags <laughs> and asked them to wait. And then I gave them a Star Trekian pep talk. You had to use the same group of people for all the shots. I had shots. a limited number of extras, <laughs> so we strung they them out as them far around. as possible. Then brought them in here and put them out there and got them in here. I think an, another issue that had been there were several more complex makeups that were supposed to be in the front line that you were supposed to be able to see, but because the time was so short, the, the dark, it had got started to get dark, so you couldn't end up not being able to see these expensive makeups that they had spent so much time on. I was on such a rigid schedule. I couldn't lose hours. Hours were valuable. That meant minutes that actors might take in coming to the set were valuable. I, t I thought that, you know, if an actor took five minutes more to come from his dressing room to the set and you multiplied that by the number of uh, uh, shots you wanted them in, maybe uh, 30 shots, it's 150 minutes, it's two hours. Remember, there's, I think, one shot where Larry, one of his opening shots, Larry said, welcome to paradise or something like that, and, and you said cut, and he said, can I do it again? And you said no. <laughs> <laughs> We have to move on. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it, it, it made shooting uh, for a television show look like uh, uh, a long vacation. I've never been on a, as tight a schedule as this. And I knew that sometimes the first take would be fine. You might get a nuance better in uh, another take, but the variation wouldn't make that much difference as getting out of there and getting on, getting some coverage or, or getting the next set. Now, I believe this was a new set of the interior because they had destroyed the every, Enterprise in the, la in the last movie. Every right? year. Yeah. Every, every so this movie is a new we one. made, we would, um, we would destroy the, the set thinking there would never be another movie, and to the tune of about a half a million dollars, they'd have to remake it. But Herman Zimmerman, who did all the sets, did a really nice job on this one. Yes. This was easier to work with. I was able yes, to get, they did. Took you were able to take out pieces. I of take it, pieces out know. and able to get these, that moving shot, for example, around the way that was. Because the old sets, you you couldn't move pieces. Not, of not as set. easily. It was time consuming, and we didn't have the time. 
I think you actually made up time on these interior shots. The, and, the, and the difficulty here for the director is to keep the camera moving and keep the people moving so that it's, there's motion and not just uh, right. people standing still. Although that's a easier way, a faster way of shooting right. is to stand them there and just shoot them. But it's not cinematic. So you're faced with this Hobson's choice of what do I do? If I move them, it takes time, and if I don't, it doesn't look good. I don't believe this. Commander Sulu here. Bad news, gentlemen. Shirley's An interesting side note of the graphics in the back of the set also took a, quite a bit of time and detail to produce. That's right. That was a whole another job that Brooke Breton, the co-producer, was in charge of doing. And we can't see a thing. Request you direct us to the coordinates. My visual says sunny skies and 70 degrees. Sulu, look. The sun's come out. It's a miracle. Don't worry, fellas. Your secret's safe with me. I'll send the shuttlecraft to pick you up. Uhura, I owe you one. Sulu out. Come and get it! Come and get it! This campfire scene a lot of people have noted as being the perfect uh, Star Trek character scene. Hmm. Well, we, there is that chemistry between the three of you. We always. fooled around with the whole singing the, the round. <laughs> Let DeForest couldn't hold a tune. No. <laughs> so that was funny. Well, and, and we know I can't. That left Leonard who doesn't sing. <laughs> so basically, you were Which, all holding your to ears. To do a round of, uh, of row, row, row your boat makes it very difficult. Good. Then somebody said, I said, I want to get a shot, a, a distance shot out in the woods to a longer shot to see them in context. And somebody said, Would you like a bird there? And they were setting up the shot. I said, Yeah. He said, Well, uh, what kind of bird? I said, How about an owl? He said, Okay. And they disappeared. And shortly thereafter, they came back. There's apparently a company in Hollywood who has a supply of exotic birds ready, available. And so he's placed this owl in the woods, and then I wanted to motivate the camera to pan over. He said, you want the bird to look to the right? And I said, yeah. So he did something, and you'll see the bird uh, looks. You know, you two could drive a man to drink. Me? What did I do? What did you do? You really piss me off, Jim. I think this Human is... Life is far too the purpose of the scene is really to set up their relationship, right. the three characters' relationship, so that later when they have their issues, right, it exactly, shows the difference. And even as I fell, I knew I wouldn't die. I thought he was the only one who was. I um, used, as most people do, a through-the-lens television camera, so that I could see the take every time it was done. If I was in a scene. I'd rush over at the end of the scene to see what, how the take was. And so it became a game for everybody to rush over at the same time to see what, how they were looking. And they'd want to do it again. There was no time for more takes. So I had to say, nobody can see this but me, which annoyed people from time to time. We spend it together. 
people have families. Other people don't, it's not us. What are you doing? I am preparing to toast a marshmallow. <laughs> Modern day marshmallow roasting. Before leaving the ship, I consulted the computer library to familiarize myself with the customs associated with camping out. Well, tell me, Spock. Anything to uh, get mar a, uh, what do you call it, marketing? Um, merchandising. Merchandising. A merchandising ploy there. So sitting around a campfire in the beginning of a motion picture that's supposed to move is a dangerous act. It's, it's slow. And you take a chance doing that. And you have to hope that the characters are loved enough by the audience to for them to sit still while we have what is hopefully dialogue that compels them to listen. So we tried it. We had fun with it. We tried it a variety of ways. Tried ad-libbing it. <laughs> these were interior shots, though, yeah? Some of these. On a set, yeah. yeah this were, I think this was one of the last days of filming, actually. Throughout the filming, people on the crew would start pinning clothespins to people when they weren't looking. So you'd end up walking around with like four or five clothespins pinned on your back without realizing it. And then it escalated so that they would tie carrots to the clothespins and this one woman was walking around with a carrot dangling down near her butt for like 15 minutes before she realized what was going on. And then I think it was in that scene, they clipped one with 15 balloons to Leonard's back. And he played Everybody, along with it so that when you came on the set, you saw him, you were started to laugh. Everybody thinks that they're mature individuals <laughs> are making these films. But in fact, we're all children. <laughs> so that was the shot with the bird that was gotten with it, that they, they got within 15 minutes of the idea. Yes, Captain. Good night, boss. Good night, Jim. Good night, Spock. Good night, Doctor. Good night, Spock. Good night, Jim. Oh, no. I just don't know. The design of this. Yeah, spaceship is always wonderful. Yeah, it another, lurks, you know. Such a. This is another Herman Zimmerman moment. Right. And these two actors, Spice right. Williams and Todd Bryant. Right. They spent months preparing for these roles. Yeah, speaking the language and. They learned Klingon for this. Yeah. I had fun with the scene. Yeah. I was able to move the camera. And the Klingon makeups were really good. Too. Klingon makeups were good. Dodge. 
got to the point where both the actors could say their lines in Klingon or in English. Yeah, they really got into it. Yeah, they were really into it. More Klingon graphics. Another little detail that actually took a lot of time to design. I love the uh, look of the Klingons. I love the uh, the uh, drama of their of their philosophy, uh, the warriors. And so it's it's there's a dynamic to them. This is a tough shot to do in a, in a uh, studio. Mr. Scott apologizes for having to send the shuttlecraft. The transporter beam is non-operational. Captain, we've received important orders from Starfleet Command. Why didn't you beep my communicator? You forgot to take it with you. Oh, wonder why I did that. Well, gentlemen, it appears surely it has been canceled. They didn't have time to finish the tops of the trees. So I remember you had to film, watch the frame of the film so that it wouldn't show the tops of the undone trees. <laughs> they didn't have time to, everything was so rushed, they didn't have time They had to. time to finish the tops of the trees, so I had a frame below them. Yeah, they didn't have time to finish the tops. Here's the moonshot, where oh. <laughs> it was sent as an example of what was gonna be done. We put it in, and nobody ever told us to take it out. So this is what Bram Farron would have done. All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer above. Melville, John Mayfield. Looked pretty good. Yeah, except it's pretty still. I am well versed. It moveth not. I think the challenge here was it was very crowded, obviously, in there. All three of you standing there. It was on a little tiny craft. Fine. The first couple times tried this shot, the shuttlecraft almost crashed into the walls. I know. <laughs> Had to do a special rigging to make sure it wouldn't crash into the walls. Right. <laughs> <laughs> This one continuous camera movement. How many times do I have to tell you the right tool for the right job? <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen him happier. Level, Rich. I hope. An indication of mo motion. Everybody's running around back out beyond the elevator doors, changing <laughs> the set, so it looks like we're in another on another floor. I think the joke here was that the the doors don't work. Nothing was quite working right. right. I recognize her. This is another daughter, <laughs> Melanie. So it struck me that there's no place to hang a coat. So I said to Melanie, just find a place, Melanie, to hang the coat. So now she's like the ditzy <laughs> yeoman who's trying to find a place to hang the coat. I never quite got the joke right. 
but the concept was funny. Where do I hang this coat? It was fun having her on the set. Yeah. She got into playing the clothespin game. <laughs> right. <laughs> And that is Harv on the screen. There. That is Harv out there. Playing the yeah. commander. That was your first day, actually, your first shot of the whole movie is was Harv. Right? I think so. Oh, yeah. how wonderful. With all due respect, the Enterprise is a disaster. There must be other ships in the quadrant. Other ships, yes. But no experienced commander. She's rocking around <laughs> trying to find a place. Uh, what I was trying to do, uh, and especially using Melanie as a means, because she's moving around trying to find a place to hang the coat, that I would work her into the motion of the camera. But then it didn't quite work out the way I, I planned it. I'm afraid the ship's problems will have to be solved en route. Since we're undermanned, I'm counting on each one of you to give us best. End of speech. Let's go to work. Jim, if you ask me, and you haven't, I think this is a terrible idea. We're bound to bump into the Klingons, and they don't exactly like you. Feelings mutual. Engine room. What are you here? We'll need all the power you can muster, mister. Don't you worry, Captain. We'll beat those Klingon devils, even if I have to get out and push. I hope it won't come to that, Mr. Scott. All possible speed, Mr. Silver. Aye, sir. What's the matter, Jim? I miss my old chair. Boy, that thing is ugly, isn't it? <laughs> it's a great design. Nice. The, the model shots look really good. A spice had become a weightlifter at that point. And so is um, Todd. Todd. So both Todd and Spice were working with weights. They had great bodies. I think the subtext of the scene is she's in love with right. the warrior character. Right. I think that we worked on that. Yeah. And then this shot, uh, interesting camera device needed to to look down on it and then turn. <laughs> You're always handing things to her. <laughs> Not General Cord. Same. He's apparently fallen out of favor with the Klingon High Command. General Cord's military strategies were required learning when I was a cadet at the Academy. When they put me out to pasture, I hope I fare better than Cord. This must be the hostage tape. A short time ago, we willingly surrendered ourselves to the forces of the Galactic Army of Light. At this moment, we're in their protective custody. Their leader assures us that we will be treated humanely as long as you cooperate with his demands. I believe his sincerity. He requests that you send a Federation starship to parley for our release at once. Be assured that we are in good health and would appreciate your immediate response. Now, this scene, of course, had been filmed out on location. Mm-hmm. To respond 
You know, you're trying to trick things up by putting it on the small monitors, having a large monitor. Hmm. It required a lot of forethought and and expenditure of money on getting them made. I had to adjudicate where to spend that money, whether that little moment was worth it. came up with the suggestion that uh, Cybok was Leonard's brother to give Spock enough emotion to, to uh, side with him and against Kirk. Who is it he reminds me? It was a young student. I think Leonard, Leonard needed more yeah. help. Leonard's idea was that the three of them had been together for so long. That he wouldn't that, leave. Yeah, some, it would take something huge to... Right. Break his loyalty to the captain. I thought the steering wheel was a good idea, hearkening back to the old sailing ships that yeah. were also named Enterprise. It's wonderful. I think Herman's idea at that point was using the wood in the future would be um, very rare. Wood would be rare, so it gave the whole feeling of kind of more private and luxurious space than the normal ship quarters. Right. I could have staged this a little better. Could have had us moving around a little more. This is really television staging. And when I was finished with it, I thought I, I should have done more. And yet, there was always the thing about time. What do you think you would have changed? I would have had the two of us, while listening to Leonard, Move around the set a little more. Mm -hmm. This Such a gives you, set. A, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful set. set. This gives you a sense of the set. That shot there gives you a sense of the set, as did the previous shot shooting the other way. I shot 180 degrees, two masters, and that's has to be it means the set has to be relit, right? Uh, to shoot in each of those directions, so that's like twice as much time as you ordinarily cheaply would take, but that is standard practice in doing a film of this magnitude. But the film of this magnitude needed more time. You ended up dealing with television problems, it seems like. And dealing with, yeah, I mean, even beyond television, dealing with uh, independent films with no money problems. Well, I suppose it's all relative. I mean, if you have 30 million and you need 40 million, it's a low budget picture. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that, daughter. Their scanning equipment is primitive, but effective. I recommend we land the coordinates 8563. That puts us pretty far away from Paradise City. To land any closer would be a risk detection. Yeah, all these graphics, all these little details took time. time and money, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't think about all these things. I guess when you're coming up with the idea, but. This is Captain Pavel Chekhov speaking. You are in violation of Neutral Zone Treaty. I advise you to release your hostages at once, 
and suffer the consequences. The threats amuse me, Captain Chekhov. What consequences did you have in mind? When you work at night, especially using a lot of people, like we do on occasion here, communication, it is absolutely astonishing how you can say, go over there and turn left 10 times, and people go over there and turn right. And you say, but I said left. They said, oh, I thought you said right. And we'll do it again. And at night, the complications are multiplied. Sometimes you're walking around in the dark, and sometimes it's light, but, uh, uh, but it takes time to cable those lights. And it is, it's a mess, but it's very effective. And it requires a lot of planning because a scene that's in the dark is not really in the dark, otherwise you wouldn't see anything on film. So a scene at night is partially at night and partially lit like this. And the cinematographer is working by guess and by golly too a lot of the times. I hope this works, I hope this works. No, that doesn't, uh, wait a minute, we have to get another light over there. And that's 15 minutes, a half an hour. And then he makes another adjustment. The same way an actor would make an adjustment. So you have to allow him that time. But look, this long expanse right there, this is a set. But this isn't. How'd that go? You came up with this idea that you needed a distraction. Yeah. So you came up with this idea of her doing a dance. Oh, that's right. We needed to distract the soldiers. Right. So, you so came they up with this come idea along and hear somebody dancing in the dark. And it's Nichelle. And Nichelle had has great gams. So anybody would stop and take a look. <laughs> and that's all we needed. This is a wonderful shot. Now you can imagine how long this took. Horses, darkness, lights, depth of field. 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes took all 20 minutes. <laughs> It's long and arduous, and then you get one shot, and you think you could make it better, but you better not, because you don't know how long the other stuff's gonna take, and, you, and, I, and they only gave me a certain number of nights. And when you work at night, you have to sleep during the day, so your body clock is all off. By the third or fourth night, you're totally fatigued, and your ability to make decisions is affected as well. Now, I'm acting in this with horses that were the day before on some ranch, they weren't movie horses like you used to have. There are a lot of these technical problems of things getting lost, trucks getting lost, things being delivered to the wrong place or not at all. And these horses were not were not the usual horses that would have been used. So. Right, we were using cow horses, horses that were on a farm <laughs> the day before. So you had all kinds of issues to deal with on, on location. Do you realize what you've done? It wasn't bloodshed I wanted. Wait, come back.
On T.J. Hooker, also, yeah, was your it was stunt double. Yeah, T.J. Hooker's my stunt double. No, and and um, he was the coordinator, his stunt coordinator. wasn't he? And his brother Hooker. died uh, in an accident while on this film. Oh boy. The other gentleman who was your stunt double here was also your stunt double in T.J. Hooker, so it was right. a little T.J. Hooker reunion. This sign actually fell. It fell in the middle of a different scene when it wasn't supposed to fall, and they had to hook up a different sign. This is the cat lady, who turned out to also be a stunt woman. You didn't originally hire her for that, but she also happened to be a stunt woman. Thank God. Please cooperate. Would you mind handing over your weapon? What are you waiting for? Beam on down. Well done, my friends. <laughs> storyboarded everything almost every shot I would storyboard so we knew exactly how many shots we had where they would be placed and how to pick up shots along the way and not uh, be someplace with a camera that we were the previous day or an hour ago it had to be very carefully worked out so we didn't waste a moment of time don't you have anything to say to me This scene is interesting to me because Cybok's character is really a renegade Vulcan and he's laughing and he's big grand gestures and he's very effusive, whereas Spock is very contained and a sort of more traditional character. So I think Larry's natural charisma and enthusiasm kind of helped illustrate the point. Yes. So the brothers meet. Violating neutral zone treatment. I think, as I recall, you kind of likened the Cybot character to Timothy Leary a lot. Right. He was a kind of a charismatic man, misguided kind of, right. but, but well meaning in the end. Right. I must have your starship. You staged all this to get your hands on my ship. Who are you? James T. Kirk, captain of the Enterprise. But I thought Captain Chekhov. I see. Very clever, Captain. Spock, it would appear that you've been given a second chance to join me. What do you say? I am a Starfleet officer. Of 
I'll take the ship without your help. Long route. Position further prey. Closing. They actually hired the guy who was the founder of the Klingonese language, Mark Okrandia. Yeah, Mark Okrandia. Mark. They got Mark to help Spice and Todd to learn the Klingon learn language. Learn the Klingon language. And they would study it, and he would teach them, and they went on went on for days. They became the <laughs> perfect Klingon warriors. Perfect example. Once we've taken control of your vessel, we'll bring up the rest of our followers. Klingons are out there. We'll be lucky to get back to the ship ourselves. Galileo, this is Enterprise. Condition red alert. Bird of prey approaching. She is cloaked. Raising shields. Recommend Galileo find safe harbor until situation secure. Acknowledge. No! No reply. Remain on course. Cyboxes. In order for this craft to enter the landing bay, Enterprise must slow the ship. I remember that. I think this is the scene that happened on the picture of the Enterprise in the back. The length of the film was shorter than the oh, length of the dialogue. Oh, right. And it kept going out. going out before the actors could finish their lines. The length of the piece of film that plays in the background was shorter than the scene of the, uh, the dialogue in the film. Mm -hmm. We would have been better to have had more more back, more of that uh, yeah. shot we of the... Yeah, lost time on that one, too, I So know. we'd lose time because we'd have to stop let them rewind and continue on. Enterprise. This is Kirk. Kirk! Don't turn back! Understand your situation? Are unable to return to planet. Stand by to execute emergency landing plan B. What's emergency landing plan B? Don't have a clue. B, as in barricade. He can't be serious. What are you doing? In order to lower and raise the shields as quickly as possible, we're going to forgo the tractor beam. How would you go about planning these sort of such tightly grouped shots? Well, you don't have much choice. The the set is very small. It's, the spacecraft is supposed to be small. There's a large group of people. So you try and stagger them yeah. and then get approximation of the heads, like here, and try and link a shot so that you can get as many people in as possible. And you'll see where I try and flash the, the camera around. Kirk just got Lower shields. Lowering shields, sir. Like that, that took quite a bit of rehearsal. 
here's where it and almost didn't stop. Right, this is the shot where it almost crashed. Right there. That shot alone took a long time. Warp speed now. <laughs> He's good. Right, the shuttle base set, although it appears big, has large walls, but weren't totally attached. We got a lot of perspective there, with walls blocking your view from where they were attached. I think there's also another interesting point. This set, I think, was built on top of the vault that housed all the antique furniture <laughs> in Paramount, so you couldn't use the heavy cranes to move the shuttlecrafts around. So. There was a lot of time also, again, lost in moving the shuttles. We you had to find a different way to move the shuttlecraft around. The floor of our set was built over the vault, the, the, vault, antique. the antique vault at Paramount. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't use heavy equipment to mm -hmm. move the heavy equipment. <laughs> you think somebody would have thought of that? <laughs> Cybok, you must surrender. I think this is another example of Leonard's character, the difference between the brothers that he was, I think, constantly trying to find ways to illustrate that he wouldn't leave the captain, he would be loyal to the yeah, captain. Yeah, by sticking to what his character would do, Leonard forced us to make wonderful changes that only added to the plot and and he stayed true to his character it was a perfect example of an actor's truthfulness mm -hmm. forcing the writers to be as truthful Spock. you will accompany me to the bridge no Your original idea, the three characters were split against each other more easily? So. Right. Uh, well, yes, uh, looking for ways to split the characters was the was what took imagination. And trying to split the characters exercised uh, our creativity was difficult to find. And I'm not sure that we ever did solve that problem completely. I think that when you're acting in a Star Trek film, there's an element of energy, urgency, that is part of the style of Star Trek. But I wouldn't think of it as being any less real than any uh, kitchen sink drama, except there's a kind of energy that should be there. Damn it, Spock. God 
again. Captain, what I have done... What you have done is betray every man on the ship. Worse, I betrayed you. I do not expect you to forgive me. Forgive you? I'll knock you on your goddamn ass. If you think it would help. You want me to hold him, Jim? You stay out of this. Why, Spock? Why? I... All you had to do was pull the trigger. If I had pulled the trigger, Cybok would be dead. I ordered you to defend your ship. You ordered me to kill my brother. But the man may be a fellow Vulcan, but that doesn't... No, 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 Captain. You do not understand. Cybok also is a son of Sarek. You mean he's your brother, brother? You made that up. I did not. You did too. Cybok couldn't possibly be your brother because I happen to know for a fact you don't have a brother. There's always an attempt to put humor in the script too, as I recall it. Looking for moments. Where I was looking for moments to, to for this is being a, lap, a yeah. perfect a example. <laughs> Here's the toilet that everybody asks about. In a Where do song. you go to the bathroom? What? Where do you go to the bathroom? Right there. I think one interview I did, somebody asked me what Captain Kirk reads in the bathroom. I said Playboy, of course. <laughs> Stop it, Jim. Spock can no more kill his own brother than he can kill you. If you want to punish him for what he's done, why don't you throw him in the brig? Besides, we've got bigger problems to deal with. Like how the hell to get out of here? Say one thing, Spock. You never cease to amaze me. Nor I myself. D was so funny. Yeah, he was funny. I was beginning to vary. Where is the kit? It's all right, Pavel. Cybok will explain everything. Problem we had was how easily mm -hmm. does the crew overcome? And it is that problem. There had been precedents, though, for the crew having been taken over in a variety of other ways in other episodes and right. even in Star Trek II. So it wasn't an insurmountable no, but problem. What, but no, it wasn't insurmountable, but what I wanted them to do was be swayed by the philosophy of the holy man, not by some magical uh, trick. trick, exactly. I think that was a balance that attention with the other actors too wanted to make sure their character stayed consistent also. Right. That, that tension was something that you were always trying to solve. Unwise. Could have warned me. He did, Jim. There's got to be a way out of this place. This is a new brig, Captain. It is escape proof. How do you know? The designers tested it using the most intelligent and resourceful person they could find. You know, when you talk about budget on a Star Trek film, and I know it's true for uh, the new films, the ones after Star Trek V, as well as here, the actors have been around for so long that their salaries have gone up. Hmm. It isn't like, here's your job and here's what we're paying. It's, you got an increase this year. So the budget on a Star Trek film is overloaded on salary. A disproportionate amount of money is spent on talent as against production. And then you also have the problem of people's own estimations of their worth, which increase as the years go by. It's not like you're in a first-time movie and they say, Here's this uh, small part, you got five lines, and you're in three scenes. 
it's you've got five five lines and three scenes, but you've been on board this thing for years, and your sense of self-worth is far more is increased that much more. We have been chosen to undertake the greatest adventure of all time. The discovery of Shakari. Is it possible? Is what possible? That he's found Shakari. The reason Cyborg left Vulcan. Our destination is the planet Shakari, which lies beyond the Great Barrier. At the center of the galaxy center of the galaxy, where Shakari is fabled to exist. The center of the galaxy can't be reached. No ship has ever gone into the Great Barrier. No probe has ever returned. Cyborg possessed the keenest intellect I have ever known. Spock, my only concern is getting the ship back. When that's done and Cyborg is in here, then you can debate Shakari until you're green in the face. Until then, you're either with me or you're not. I am here, Captain. It's a little vague, Spock. What's that noise? Waves. It is a primitive form of communication known as Morse code. You're right. I'm in a lot of practice. Uh, that's an S. A T. A. N. Uh, D. End of word. Stan. New word. B. A. Um, C. K. Star Trek is a wagon train to the stars, or series on the air at the time Star Trek first went on, called Wagon Train. And this was often referred to, Star Trek was, as wagon train to the stars. There is a Western quality to it. There's the bad guys, the good guys, if you can get out into open space. There was some controversy over this. Yeah, because the, the pipes on the bottom had to open and close so the camera could track in, order to get, in order to get the camera along <laughs> this thing, we had to open and close the pipes. Yeah. And close them in time for the actors to be seen, which destroyed Jimmy Doohan's concentration to the point where he would forget the lines. pretty far off the ground at this point. <laughs> and then you go back to the rock climbing thing. Where's Spock? 
Leonard was a good sport about being strapped into these contraptions. Bones? You two go ahead. I'll wait for the next car. We're not splitting up. Secure right here. We're too heavy. Must be on those marshmallows. Spot the booster rockets. If I activate them now, Captain, we'll be propelled upward at an unpredictable rate. Fire the rockets! Captain, please come back down. 64. We went back to 52, if you see. <laughs> then we went to 78. Shh, don't tell anybody. You're not supposed to notice that. Sound of my voice. This is Captain James T. Kirk of the Federation Starship Enterprise. If you read me, acknowledge. Acknowledge. Enterprise, this is Starfleet Command. We read you. Over. A hostile force has taken control of our vessel, put us on a direct course with a great barrier. Our coordinates are 000 Mark II. Mark II. Request emergency assistance. Acknowledge. Understood, Enterprise. We are dispatching a rescue ship immediately. Roger, Starfleet. This is the beginning of the whole sequence where you get into the depths of each character. The right. set was interesting too because it opened up into these various little areas. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we actually did a theatrical thing here. Instead of using movie magic, we used a theatrical device called a scrim, and uh, it was done with lighting. I don't remember why. I, I suspect it was to save money from the special effects. I want your respect. Are you afraid to hear me out? I'm afraid of nothing. Wait outside. I'm sure you have many questions. Here, amidst the stars of our own galaxy, we shall seek the answers together. Easy, 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 Scotty. Easy. You're back with us. Uhura, I had the strangest dream. I dreamt that a madman had taken over the oh, Enterprise. Scotty, dear, he's not a madman. He's not? No. Cyborg has simply put us in touch with feelings that we've always been afraid to express. I have to get back to the transport. No, no, no. Scotty, uh, Scotty. There's so much I want to tell you. Maybe... You could wait till I'm a wee bit stronger. I don't think I could take it in my present condition. Or yours. 
Shakari. The source. My father had died. Uh, I'm not sure what. Uh, obviously, DeForest's father had died. I, I think the death of your parent is a major event in everyone's life. And if you're close, it's, it's even a bigger event. So uh, that's one we gave uh, DeForest uh, based on uh, my experience. I think DeForest was also very reluctant at first to do that scene because he felt like as a doctor he wouldn't pull the plug on right. a patient Th and you had right. to come up with a way for him to feel comfortable. That's right. I had to motivate, he had to motivate. Uh, the actor into accepting the fact that he would have pulled the plug. To preserve the dignity of his father was what you ended up coming right. up with the line, there, but that took some convincing, too. Yeah. Your pain is the deepest of all. I can feel it. Can't you? I think you had to persuade him. Tell him. I think you told him it was a, a scene, a great scene for him, and he hadn't been able to really show his acting chops for a while, and here was an opportunity. But he, even then, he still was very reluctant to do anything inconsistent with the character. So I think you guys came up with that solution. Right. And marvelous moment for McCoy. I'm here. I'm with your dad. The pain. Stop the pain. I've done everything I can do. You've got to hang on. I can't stand the pain. Help me. All my knowledge, and I can't say that. He played this so well. He's such a wonderful actor. That light, key to, and the shadow. We made the shadow. Yeah, that was a fake shadow. Right. You know, I think old age is interesting in faces like this. All the, all the peripheral stuff in life is washed away and you see only the basic face and the lines of the face, the experience of the man in old age. I love this man's face. Why did you do it? Preserve 
it took the darnest time to convince DeForest to do this scene. I kept saying it's such a wonderful scene for your character. And he just was reluctant to do it. Because I guess his own personal convictions about pulling the plug. Hmm. And my personal convictions about pulling the plug is pull the plug. At the appropriate moment when the dignity of life is gone. Hmm. This pain has poisoned your soul. This is close to what I had imagined the movie being. Mm -hmm. This force and these insights and these familiar characters going in areas that they've never gone before. I think in Leonard's case, he felt that he had already explored the pain of being a half-breed, and mm -hmm. he had objected initially to this scene as not being strong enough to pull him away from his loyalty. So there, you actually added a scene with the young Cybok and the young Spock separate, being separated mm -hmm. because Cybok was gonna go off and on his quest and Spock chose to stay. And that was an additional pain that Leonard felt kind of solved the problem of what he had been objecting to. But I actually think in the end you didn't use right. that, cut it. I think you shot it. Did you shoot the young Cybok and the young I don't remember. Spock? I remember your, the audition for the boys that you were gonna use. I don't know if they ever even shot it. Eric, your son. So human. And look at Spock seeing his own birth. What a... What a chilling hmm. concept that is. What have you done to my friends? I've done nothing. This is who they are. Didn't you know that? No, I didn't. Now learn something about yourself. No, I refuse. I loved being able to work the scene out with these characters, this motion, hmm. and going from face to face, staging it just so it, the choreography of it pleased me. See, this to me is what Star Trek V is all about. The things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. Cybok, this is the bridge. We're in approach of the Great Barrier. Captain, I'm afraid you'll have to remain here. Spock, Dr. McCoy, come with me. Spock? I cannot go with you. Why not? I belong here. I don't understand. Cybok, you are my brother, but you do not know me. I am not the outcast boy you left behind those many years ago. Since that time, I have found myself in my place. In the original story, how did you have that Cybok managed to split the three of them up? You had yeah, by the force of his philosophy, by the insights that these people had into their lives and 
what was lacking and what forces shaped them. And I'll see you on the other side. Wait! You know we'll never make it through the Great Barrier. But if we do, will that convince you that my vision was true? And then I wanted it unresolved before we went down to the, hmm. to the planet. Hmm. And but somehow it was insisted that we resolve it before we go down, so we prevent a present a united front. And I acquiesced to that, and I think that dramatically it would have worked out better if our experience down on the God planet resulted in our healing our relationship. Hmm. I say they're wrong. I say that danger is an illusion. You also had several meetings with an astronomer to talk about where the God planet was. That originally you had wanted it in the center of the universe, and he explained that there really was no center of the universe. So it ended up being the center of the galaxy. And um right. that this Although great I don't know why there isn't a center of the universe. If the universe is expanding, uh-huh. Isn't it expanding, as it's been explained to me, like a balloon that's being blown up? So there must be a center. But isn't from it whence ever ever changing center? Uh, I, I don't know. No, it would seem yeah. to be it's expanding from some point. Well, uh, at any rate, they hired an astronomer to help you out with these concepts, and according to him, there this concept of great barrier had some element of actual reality to it, that there could be something magnetic field like that. Mm -hmm. Is it possible? Fascinating. Are we dreaming? If we are, then life isn't it. Then a remarkable coincidence happened while conceiving the film and that is there is a group of painters that were in America the Hudson River 7 I think they're called and there was an exhibition in New York City and I happened to be in New York and I went to the exhibition and there was the painters storm over the Rockies I'll think of his name in a minute and I thought that's the God planet because the whole, the whole philosophy of the Hudson River painters was God's investment in nature. That nature is reflective of God. And so I brought that Hudson River s s uh, painters back with me to the designers to say, this is what I think the God planet would look like. And again, never quite was right. The idea was there. No special conditions. No conditions. What makes you think I won't turn us around? Because you too must know. Well, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it by the book. Mr. Chekhov, you take the comms to Sulu, standard orbital approach. Uhura. I'm ready for shuttlecraft to stand by. Cybok, Spock, Dr. McCoy, come with me. The rest of you remain on board until I've determined what it is we're dealing with. 
Well, don't just stand there. God's a busy man. You know, there was also another moment when I'm looking at these special effects shots that I'm reminded of. I said to one of the management, I haven't seen a certain number of special effects shots. And he said, you saw them two weeks ago. And I said, I have no recollection of seeing them. And I never did. And one of us was wrong. And I'm not sure whether they were wrong or I was wrong but it made me doubt myself. Wow. I saw them, I don't remember seeing them. Special effects shots dribble in. The special effects people finish one, they work on another. So weeks will go by before you see the next shot. Right. So either I had completely forgotten or I was so rushed with stuff that I had no memory of it, but it was very... Uh... I remember it took you some convincing that you didn't need the gun on the God planet, because Kirk would always take a gun. That's right. And that right. was another big another character big hassle. hassle. Exactly. I would not have gone down to the God planet, I felt, without the gun. And everybody felt that we, if we had a gun, it would uh, it would not be... Um, the Jeopardy would be different. The Jeopardy would, yeah. be, would be threatened. just as I knew it would be. Now here is real, this is a real set. This is real mountains. And we had sent somebody out to find locations. The people had drawn up what I thought the location should look like. Or I gave them my idea of what I thought the location should look like and they drew it up. And here comes the guy, the location manager, with exactly what was drawn. It was in Ridgecrest, the same uh, place where you had filmed the rest of the stuff. Right, and when we were on location search and I saw this mountain, the sun was coming up behind that mountain, behind that peak. And I said, this is where we have to shoot it, and we were going to come back there in a month to shoot it. So we had to figure out what time of the day that that sun would be in that position, and we would have needed that shot to place that camera at that time of day. 9 a.m. Was it 9 a.m.? So, and, and, and that was a month later, so either the time was getting longer or shorter, and I wanted the sun just peeking behind that, right perfectly. there, like that. And it worked. That's, Look at that's that shot. Real. That was real. That that's real. Yeah. That's a real shot. Although the advances in CGI effects are such that you could have done all that CGI. Well, the whole thing would be different now, probably. Right. You could do that ending that you wanted. Probably exactly. You'd, you'd, cheaper you'd, than you'd, one location you'd shot. You'd draw it up, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Could fake the whole thing, but then in those days you couldn't fake it. And here we were on the side of the, of the California desert, of the mountains, and uh, for real. This is actually a fairly treacherous uh, terrain. You could potentially really hurt yourself. That right. rock is very sharp. 
it's all volcanic. Yeah. As is this, of course, and and there's a real difference between this and being on a on a set. I mean, just it's just a different. Large S is different, the light is different, the wind is different. You can't fake this. We're there. We have traveled far! Then, in a story meeting, My starship. I was asked, well, how does the devil come out of the rock? And I had just seen a version of, uh, or, or, or some part of um, Wizard of Oz some days before. And I said, well, I don't know, but maybe it's out of a whirlwind. And, and it's, a, it's a whirlwind of motion. And um, Harv Bennett was very unkind about that suggestion. <laughs> Do you remember? I don't remember. Harbin was very unkind about that suggestion, uh, somewhat mocking, and uh, uh, it, that upset me. But eventually, we bought the idea, and uh, everybody went to work on how to make it look like that. And then the thought was, who are the gods? What god is that? And that provided a whole degree of um, disturbance, because whose version of god, which then made us give it the whole sequence of many gods. Right, because God could look any different way according to what part of the world or what planet you were from for that This matter. is a mixture of shots of real and fake. Some were actually shoved up, some were shoved up into, into the frame like this. Some were on, this we on moved a, to the set, a, to a set now, this darkened sequence is a set. This is special effects. It's a huge set with these huge, pillars of rock on it was quite magnificent actually yeah the sort of cathedral where god or the devil might reside the actors end up playing to a non-existent god because he had to get filled in later by special effects so this right, so we played to a non-existent god. But Actually, they set up a t you set up a TV screen with the man, George Murdoch, who played God. Uh, that's set right. Set up a TV screen with his I, face in it so the actors would have something to look at. We had uh, recorded uh, the actor playing God. And then I had to make a walk look like a long walk with this very short space on the, on the set that we had. studio was very nervous about this sequence and wondering whether it would work or not. And after I had shot it, an executive came up to me and said it worked. And he was relieved. And here became what we could do with our limited budget of the gods of mankind. That's George Murdoch. And George Murdoch I had directed in a play in Los Angeles 
and he is a wonderful, powerful actor, and I thought he'd be perfect as the voice of God. See, to me, this whole sequence really harkens back to the old Star Trek series where they would encounter beings like this. It really right. was very consistent with Star Trek and its traditions. I thought so. We sought only your infinite wisdom. And how did you breach the barrier? With a starship. This starship. Remember, George had to a difficult time because when they were filming his sequences, he had these very bright lights, like yes. really close to his eyes, so it would mimic the the lighting in the right. special effects. So he was basically acting to a giant beam of light, which was very uncomfortable. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? Bring the ship closer. I said, what does God need with a starship? What are you doing? I'm asking you a question. Who is this creature? Who am I? Isn't it interesting to see a man who's dead sometime now, totally alive on film, every part of him? Yeah. It's nice to have it. Then here is the proof you see. Of course, your old friend Danny, the stuntman. <laughs> <laughs> Took the fall for you. <laughs> Why is God angry? Why? Why have you done this to my friend? He doubts me. You've not answered his question. What does God need with a starship? Do you doubt me? Doubt any god who flicks pain for his own pleasure. Stop! The god of Shakari would not do this. Shakari? A vision you created. An eternity I've been imprisoned in this place. The ship. I must have the ship. Now, give me what I want. Saibot, this is not the god of Shakari or any other god. I don't understand. I had seen some film on some American communists who were so filled with the love of their philosophy and then Stalin's dictatorship became known and the disastrous things that Stalin had done, and that these people, lifelong communists, came to the realization suddenly that their philosophy didn't work. Mm. And they had spent all their years being passionate communists. And there was some film on them, and I thought, what a strange feeling it must be, How, what a disastrous moment in your life to find out that everything you believed in is of no avail. And that's where I got his thing. Kirk Enterprise, listen carefully. Spock. Cyborg. This is my doing. This is my arrogance. My vanity. Cyborg, we must find no. a way. No. You must save yourselves. 
Forgive me, brother. Forgive me. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. Enterprise, are you ready? In firing position. Torpedo armed. But, Captain, we're firing directly on your position. Send it down, Mr. Takeoff, now! The rock man sequence would have come here. You originally had envisioned them coming out of the rocks and yeah, exploding like gargoyles, kind of gargoyle, frightening devils, minions. And then they told you you could have ten rock men. Right. Then five. Then five. <laughs> then one. Then one. <laughs> and then the and one then didn't work the out. The one so didn't well. work out. So we had none. <laughs> There so were no Rockmen in our life. <laughs> a little problem of how to resolve the end of the movie. Right. And I said, how am I going to do that? They said, that's your problem. So there were just no Rockmen. Status report. Klingon Captain wishes to name his terms, Mr. Spock. On screen. This is Captain Claw of the Klingon Empire. Attempt to raise shields or arm weapons, and I will destroy you. You are alive for a single reason. The renegade James T. Kirk. Hand him over, and I will spare your lives. My transporter stands ready to beam him aboard. Captain Kirk is not among us. Lie. I'm a Vulcan. I'm incapable of lying. Captain Kirk is on the planet below. Then give me his coordinates. Well, the function of the Klingons throughout the story was to provide another element of suspense and right to hassle us. To so it wouldn't just be God, us, us right. God, us. Like the B another... story in a, in, a, in, a, yeah. in, a, in effect. Klingon Commander, someone wishes to speak with you. 
And here's where the rock men would have been chasing me. suggested a wonderful shot here of the spaceship coming up over the over the edge so instead of a rock man you had, had a giant god face a giant god face <laughs> so it's me you want to cling on bastards what are you waiting for They're big guys. Yeah, they were, they're in built-up boots as well. Release him. And there was some controversy over some editing here, which it was overruled. You had a timing issue with the length of the movie, too. I think they, you had a two-hour version, and they pronounced you needed, I forget how many minutes, but enough to cause some anxiety. And so there was a lot of controversy over what to edit. And uh, it was another battle I lost. And here, in this moment, which is fun, when I go up to Leonard, it was all we could do during rehearsal not to crack up. Why? <laughs> it was just a funny moment. You guys have a lot of laughs when you work together. Thought I was going to die. Not Do they have the 15 balloons hanging off the back of his jacket at this right. point? <laughs> They're right there. That, that, that would. We had a tough time keeping a straight face. for a wee nip of scotch whiskey? I never thought I'd ever be drinking with a Klingon. <laughs> what are you two conspiring about? Well, we were just saying how far we've come in such a short space of time. We certainly have. You remember you fought for the line here, too, that God is in the human heart, because that was really what you were trying to say the whole time, even from the very beginning, from the very first draft. And at one point, I think they took it out, and you to have it put back in or something like that. That was it. And it was I a very important line. It was really the, the, crux the whole, of the whole movie. movie was summed up that God is in the human heart. Mm -hmm. And they kept taking it out. Mm -hmm. But it ended up in. We were speculating. Is God really out there? Maybe he's not out there, Bones. Maybe he's right here. Human heart. There was one fight I won. Well, it was a pretty major fight. I was thinking of yeah. Because that was really what you had been reaching for the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm, it's such an important line. 
I mean, and, and Leonard and Dee were both right to fight for the consistency in their characters, I think. In Absolutely. The end, it made it better. But I think that the whole point of the script was that they're all different kinds of interpretations of God or right. not God. And the only but that God exists inside you. All's well with the world once again. Yes. So sit there and pluck that thing. I think this was actually the last, might have been the last shot of the movie. I think it was. I think it was. I mean, the last shot that you actually filmed. Trying to make a point of the fireplace and then a dot in the universe or the galaxy at this point. It's a nice touch. I guess you couldn't afford that shot. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that's it. No more stars. <laughs> you're, you're, out. <laughs> you're out of money you're and out. time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, uh, uh, for me, it was a great experience. Um, I learned a great deal. I wish I could put it to work now uh, in that kind of film. I had a life experience there. And then working alongside my daughter, Liz, was also an enormous experience. Uh, I really, for the first time, saw her as an adult. And because she did adult work and she had an adult attitude. And she became a, a whole person, not, not, not my child. On, uh, on this thing. So from many points of view, I'm so glad that uh, I did the film. <laughs>